right. Just before we have our special here, um, I do want to make mention of, just have a, a quick announcement about uh, the prayer that we're going to have leading up to the tent meeting. And we've done this before uh, with other uh, activities, uh, other events. And so uh, I want to make mention that there is a sign-up sheet in the back. What we're going to have is a 24-hour uh, prayer meeting, essentially, taking us uh, through Friday afternoon, Friday at noon, all the way through to Saturday at noon. On the back in the lobby here, you're going to find a table, and there'll be a sign-up sheet. Um, I can see that some, I went back there just a moment ago uh, to grab one of these cards, and I'll explain that in a second. There's some names already down on that list, and that's a good thing, but I saw only one of those columns starting to fill up. There's four columns. We're looking for, um, it would be nice if we could have three and four people here per hour. And if you've done it before, and if not, that's fine. Let me explain it. You're going to come on in here for your allotted time. If you signed up for one o'clock in the afternoon to two, they're, they're one hour slots. And you're going to come in here with three, four, maybe five people. Maybe you'll bring your whole family in and you're just going to pray. You're going to pray at the altar. We'll have chairs sit up here. You can kneel at the altar. You can sit at the chairs. Um, and we're just going to pray. And as you pray, you're going to carry on through that hour, and as that hour closes down, there's going to be another crew that comes on in, and they're going to take over, and they're just going to keep praying. We're just going to keep it all the way through from noon on Friday all the way through to Saturday at noon. And we're looking for a good crew. If I could just put a plug in here for Saturday afternoon, we're going to pray at noon under the tent. Uh, and so regardless of if you showed up in the middle of the night or maybe sometime Friday evening, if you're available Saturday at noon, we are going to pray under the tent and try to get as many people here as we possibly can. And just looking forward to what God's going to do is we were praying just a moment ago. And of course, we were praying about this tent meeting and it was a blast. It was amazing last year. Great preaching. We had preachers from from all over the area. Uh, this year, a little different. For the most part, we'll have Brother Coral, uh, Coral Evangelist Coral. He's going to come through and, and preach all the way through Thursday, and then we'll get to hear uh, Brother Earl Ankrum uh, closing things down, so to speak, on Friday. And we're going to hear great preaching. We heard uh, Brother Coral on Wednesday night at football camp, and he just did a phenomenal job. And we know he's going to do a wonderful job here. Uh, but there'll be specific prayer requests. Grab one of those cards back there. And I do highlight this reminder. On the back side of this card, there's going to be a reminder of the specific time slot that we're going to pray. And at the bottom, it says, my committed prayer slot is, and you write in that time. Write it in. Um, I'll just say it this way. We had, especially some of those early morning hours, someone, someone's lost their card. So we had a crew here, and I'm thankful for them, and it was a sweet time of prayer but they were a blessing and stuck through the remainder of that night because there was a number of folks that didn't show up. So if you do sign up, we're counting on you. Write that slot down on this little reminder card so it just jogs your memory. You're prepped and ready to go. It's a sweet time in prayer. It's wonderful. Don't miss out. Sign up after the service tonight. Many years he wore. 
walked in darkness as he groped along the streets with his hand stretched out for pennies or for just a bite to eat is the story of the blind man who met Jesus on his way and with the master's touch the man looked up as the scoffers heard him say somebody touch me somebody touch me I was blind but praise his name I now can see He had labored not in vain Like the story of that crippled man I once was bound by sin But since the Master came Oh, praise His name Thank God I now can say Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn over to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 59, verse 14. We've been talking about the need to live by principle. And we said uh, last week that principle is paramount. As believers especially, more than ever, we need to live by principle. We need uh, integrity and character. And it's important that we demonstrate those characteristics and qualities 
in the world in which we live. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verse 14, we read last week, and we'll read again very briefly. It says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. We said that by the time Isaiah arrives on the scene, the culture and the courts, they, were, they, they literally stunk of corruption. <clears throat> there were God's people. They, Israel was God's people without a doubt, no doubt about it. But they had abandoned him. They had violated scripture. They had discarded integrity. And they had been influenced by partiality and by bribes. They had condemned the innocent. They had acquitted the guilty. If there was anybody that still held to godly principles, they were far and few between at best. And then by this time, their voice was probably not being heard too awfully well. He says, justice standeth afar off. How in the world did that happen? Well, we said because truth had fallen in the street. So as a result of that truth being fallen in the street, our generation... A life of biblical principle. In our generation, a life of biblical principle has been compromised and corrupted. Our day-to-day outlook and actions are dependent upon external rather than internal forces. We, we, we always give, we give a little too much precedent to the external. Right and wrong are no longer defined by absolute truth, but instead by relevancy or by experience itself. Biblical principle no longer governs most believers. And if principle is a factor, its roots are found in secular humanism often, or in simpler terms, worldly thinking. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And you and I have got to elevate the Word of God today. The Word of God has lost its place on the pedestal of our lives many times. Not only has it lost its place in the world that we live in, in the country that we reside in, but even many times in our own lives, if we're not careful, the Word of God is not elevated the way it ought to be. It has fallen in the streets I hope it's not fallen in your heart. I hope it's not fallen in your life. I hope it's not fallen in your home. Because, boy, around us, all we need to do is take a quick glance and we see that the Word of God has fallen in the streets. Sadly enough, too often even, it's fallen in the house of God. So we ended last lesson by asking a few fundamental questions. We said, okay... Will you allow truth to fall in the streets of your life? Will truth win out or will you give in to corruption? And I hope a resounding no would be heard. So the principles of God, we said, the principles, or should I say, of the Word of God are priceless. And we need to allow them to guide our every footstep along the way. So we said that there were some things we need to remember. One, principles more important than popularity, we said. Number two, we said principles more important than personality. Again, we focused on the fact that principles forever, personalities fluctuate. We said that our loyalty must be first to principle, then to personality. 
We said that being right with God always relates to principle, but rarely to personality. And so we want to continue tonight as we consider this idea of principle. Principle is more important than pride. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts today. Lord, we know that the time is short. We know that on Wednesday nights we spend time praying and other things, but Lord, help us in these next few moments to be encouraged by the Word of God. We are excited about our tent meeting coming up, and I'm looking forward to the 24-hour prayer, Lord, starting on a Friday at 12 all the way to Saturday at 12, and meeting in this auditorium, groups of people praying for an hour at a time. And Lord, we're excited about what you're going to do. We know that, Father, you not only hear prayer, but you answer it. And so, Lord, we're looking forward to what prayer is going to do in our own hearts, our own lives, and what it will do in the lives of others as we gather under that tent throughout the week next week and as our preacher comes and proclaims the word of truth. Bless us tonight now. May our hearts be stirred by your word. Fill me with your Holy Ghost and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Lord, be with every listening ear. May we hear with spiritual ears tonight. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Principle is more important than pride. Now, one can hardly begin a conversation about pride without pointing out its origin. I mean, where in the world did pride come from? I mean, why is it such a big deal? Well, in Isaiah chapter 14, turn there, would you? We remember that Satan himself is the, really the, the root, and he's the one who uh, kind of kick-started all this mess off, and his pride is, it just set the stage for everything that was going to go wrong in the world that we live in. Notice Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. What a mess Satan is. Man, I mean to tell you at this point, prior to his fall, we know that he was the anointed cherub. We know that he was a, had an elevated position in heaven, and man, things were on the up, and it seemed like it was going well, but it wasn't. That pride got in there and messed everything up, just like it does in our lives. Notice what it says in Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? Okay, here we go now. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And when I was in Bible college, they often referred to this passage as the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now when we talk about that, I think it's interesting to note that the stars of God are often the angelic beings. Hold on, moving on. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here, I will be like the Most High. The five I wills of Satan. Is there any wonder that pride is a part of our atomic nature? We know that there in the Garden of Eden that, that, that Eve was deceived. Adam willfully took of the fruit and just willfully disobeyed God. And ever since that time, we have been bound by this old flesh. We have been uh, just... In, in just enslaved by the atomic nature. And that atomic nature is ruled and fueled by none other than satanic influence. And 
what has been ultimately coined and spoken of in Scripture as sin. Boy, I'll tell you, that nature, that atomic nature, lays the foundation that we build our whole lives upon until we find Christ. Everything we do is tainted by that old nature, that that demonic or the, the devilish nature that we have. And it is rooted in the pride of Satan himself. So it's always wise to swallow your pride and stick with your principles. It's a winning combination. The Bible makes it clear how God feels about pride. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, because of time I'm just going to read, but it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Man, God hates pride. He hates pride. He hates pride. He hates pride. That's what the Bible says. He doesn't just dislike it. He hates it. There are a number of reasons why God hates pride. And I believe that one of the main reasons is because it always sets us up for a fall. It always does. In Proverbs 16, 18, the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And you want to fall flat on your face? Go ahead and get prideful. Become arrogant. Go ahead and just kind of kind of drift back into that atomic nature. Go back into that, uh, that nature that was rooted in Satan's fall. And even as he fell, so will we. Our pride is what often keeps us from admitting, or, uh, admitting our weaknesses or possibly even our failures. It's what keeps us from getting the help that we really need. Pride's always a problem. We may try and convince ourselves that our reason for hiding our sin is noble. Well, I don't want to hurt somebody. I don't want, to, I don't want them to think less of me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to mean do that. But listen, uh, you know, we got to deal with things. And our pride is what keeps us from dealing with them. And you know, the devil is just a liar. So, so why in the world, why is that such a surprise to us that the devil's a liar sometimes? I mean, we live our lives as believers, and we're supposed to live them according to the Word of God. We're supposed to, to, to allow God's Word to guide and direct our every thought, our every step, our every motion, our every whim. And yet reality is, is that we allow the lies of Satan to ru- 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 rule us and wreck us more than we would like to admit. John 8, 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. Notice there's no truth in Satan and the devil. Now who's the God of this world? Little g, God, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It's none other than Satan. That means there's not one truthful thing you're going to learn from the world. Nothing. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. We go out into the world and we listen to too many voices and they are ruled by the God of this world. Unless you're getting that voice from the word of God or it is imitating or mirroring or or, uh, uh, stating what this 
truth says, then it's probably just enough truth to sink you because there's a lie wrapped in it. You know, the devil convinces us that we're strong enough to handle things on our own. Even though you've obviously made a mess of things to this point, he, he, he convinces us, he lies to us and tells us you can handle it. You deal with it. He also convinces us that our lives would be ruined forever if we ever confess something. I'll be ruined forever. You'll be done. You'll be sunk. Well, that's, that's a devilish lie, by the way. Devilish lie. The real reality is that sooner or later, our sin will be found out. Sooner or later, we're going to slip up or someone's going to stumble upon our little secret. And in Numbers chapter 32, 23, the Bible says, But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And once your sin is found out at that point, trust is broken. And many of our options at that point diminish. It's pretty much a sure thing that your wife and family is going to be disappointed and devastated if it's found out that way. And so let's not fool ourselves. The reason we do not seek help, the reason that we do not ask for assistance before we're found out is that our pride takes preeminence and not principle. It's still a pride issue. God hates pride because, again, it sets us up for the fall. And God hates to see his children suffer. So, as I read in one book, it said, red-faced and embarrassed, admit it, you goofed. Red-faced and embarrassed, admit it, you goofed, he says. So make it right. We need to make it right and press on, right? Don't let pride motivate you falsely or foolishly. Pride. So we, we learn right off the bat, we learn that principle is more important than our pride. Live by principle. Do not allow the pride to dictate and determine your next steps. Let principle do that. And then... Principle is more important than position. Let's say that a pastor allows a committee to hold his salary over his head and threaten to run him off if he doesn't do their bidding. Honestly, he should step down from his position if he has to, but he should never compromise his principle. And that principle is true for all of us. If you love your salary, your paid holidays, your benefit package more than you do the truth, you really don't deserve to keep your position. It's not as a Christian. Your position demands you to be loyal to principle. Now, that's not necessarily the emphasis that we have today in a society we live in. I read an article where the writer says, forget your principles. That's not how she said it, but that's what she said. Forget your principles. 
It's a self-help book, by the way. Forget your principles. She continues saying, principles can wreak havoc on your life. Principles are so easy to get attached to. They're the glamorous side of having a conscience. But sometimes peace of mind has very little to do with looking good. (laughs) She goes on to say, it's about making conscious choices. Every time you're faced with a decision that comes down to principles, she says to ask yourself if it's worth the fight. And you'll find it rarely, rarely is. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I found that to be extremely alarming to me. I, I don't know, maybe you think it's perfectly fine. But I didn't. I thought there was a problem. You know, I mean, there are times we go overboard in this area. This principle thing. We go overboard. For instance, we say, I'll never work fast food. But then you lose your job and you got to support your family. You're stubborn though. You're so stubborn toward this meaningless principle. So your family goes out, goes without their needs being met and, you know, uh, all because you don't want to work fast food. And uh, I, I said I'd never work in and I'm sticking to my principles. I'm sticking to my guns. Well, that's stupid. That's not sticking to principles. That's probably just being lazy and not wanting to get greasy. (laughs) Come on. Go go make French fries at McDonald's or something. Clean out the the, the grease trap. Do what you got to do, but feed your family. That's a dumb principle. It's not a biblical principle, that's for sure. The principles I'm talking about or speaking about are rooted in truth. And they're rooted in the Word of God. We, we, we come to these conclusions based on Scripture and we say, now this is a principle that I can't compromise. And those principles are timeless and they leave little room for compromise. We've got to stick to our guns in order to please Christ and to honor His Word and His name. As a culture... Let's face it, Americans are quick to point to principle when it's convenient. But when it complicates their plans or demands a sacrifice of sorts, they're less likely to stick to their guns, aren't they? For example, some today are determined not to be disrespected by anyone under any circumstance. You will not disrespect me. Don't you look at me that way. Don't you talk to me that way. How dare you put me in that spot like I'm some stupid person? You don't disrespect me. I stand by principle. I will not lower myself. Oh, I see. I see. They'll stand up for their so-called rights, but still they'll band together with others and loot and destroy the private property of others. You know, like those smashing grabs that are taking place out in L.A. right now? Stinking mobs of 40, 50, and 60, taking 60 to $100,000 worth of merchandise from a, a Canoga Park, uh, from Nordstrom stores in Canoga Park in Los Angeles on a Saturday afternoon, right in the middle of at the afternoon. Oh, you will not disrespect me, but I'll go and disrespect anybody and anything I want. I'll destroy your property, but don't you look at me cross-eyed. 
What a joke. Their principles are fluid and they're determined upon whether it's convenient or not at the time. If it serves them well, they have principle. If it doesn't, throw them out the window. Their principles are not rooted in Scripture. Their principles are rooted in selfishness. They all need thrown in jail. They need treated like the criminals they are. This is the this is the twisted cultural view of standing for your principles that we face today. You believe whatever you want. But the truth is, is when it's all said and done, unless we, until we align ourselves with this book and its truths, our culture will be a total wreck. The believer must stand for biblical principle even when it's inconvenient to them or demands sacrifice. Turn if you would to 1 Samuel chapter 24. First Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. I'm gonna, we're going to just look very quickly as we close tonight of a young man or a man that had principle and lived by it. Watch, watch what it cost, and think about what this would have cost him potentially. In 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En-Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave and Saul went in to cover his feet. That means he went in to use the restroom. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. <laughs> they were already in there. Now hold on. Let's get the context of the story very, very quickly. David had done nothing amiss. David had been only loyal to Saul, even though Saul himself had sought his life and even tried to kill him on occasions. Plural. And yet David is a servant to Saul. Here we are in this cave. Saul is extremely vulnerable now. His dress is at his, at his feet. Because everybody likes to go there and say, well, see, you know, guys and girls all dress the same. So he must have had a dress on. Isn't it a joke when we go back there and people say stuff like that? Well, they all wore robes, so they all wore the same clothes. You mean to tell me there was no distinction between what women and men wore then either? Well, there really was. Do some study and research on it. You'll find it was quite evident there was. So nonetheless, he takes his robe down. He's extremely vulnerable now. And here's David and his men right there in the midst. I mean to tell you, if there was ever an opportunity and chance for David to settle the score, it was now. 
Verse 4, And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day in which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it seemed good unto thee. This is the day that God said he'd give you. This is, it's finally come to pass, David. Here it is. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. I have no idea how he did that. That dude must have been having a bad day. Verse 5, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him. David's getting convicted now about just cutting the skirt. See, he's wearing a dress. But anyway, cutting the skirt of Saul's robe. Because he had cut off Saul's skirt. He's, he's, he's just in his heart, it's broken. Here's what he says. Look at verse 6. Watch the principle. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, so stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Boy, that's a man living by principle. I mean, here's this guy over here, and he is vulnerable. David goes over there, and man, he takes a piece of his clothing and he takes it back and all of a sudden he starts going, man, I, I can't believe I did that to Saul. He is God's anointed. He is the anointed king of Israel. And here I am doing this to the king, God's man. But David, he's trying to kill you. You have every right to take his life. He's he, he would kill you if he had a chance. That's why he's here. But David lived by principle. And he had learned long before that you don't touch God's man. We need only follow David through his life and we see that he killed people for touching God's man. For putting and extending their hand against God's man. The very man who sought his life, by the way. He lived by principle, even though it meant he could have possibly lost his life down the road for it. He was willing to make a sacrifice to live by principle. When's the last time you did something as a result of principle that cost you something dearly? And if you've never been in a position yet, sooner or later, you will. Sooner or later, you will. It may cost you potentially a job. It may possibly cost you your health to some degree. If persecution comes, it could cost you a lot. Principle can cost quite a bit. But we've got to live by it. So God help us not to sacrifice principle for popularity, pride, personality, or position. Principle is paramount. It needs to be preeminent in our lives. It must take place, a place of priority in our life. We need to live by the Word of God and the principles that are outlined and explained here. We cannot allow ourselves to dictate and determine the outcomes even. We must let God determine that. 
And that's what David did. And that's why he could live by principle because he trusted that God was big enough to take care of business, whether it was in life or death, just like those three Hebrew children were. Oh, king, you do what you got to do, but we're not bowing. We're not bowing. Do what you got to do. God will get us through this one way or the other. But we will not bow down to your idol. That's called principle. So it may cost you some sleep. It may cost you money. Principle may cost you time, effort, or even your reputation. But will you live by principle all the time and not just when it's convenient? Will you fight to keep principle a priority? Again, the principles of God's word are priceless. And we should allow them to guide us every step of the way. Maybe you're facing something at work even now. I lost a job one time and had to walk off a job because they was going to force me on a Sunday. Not while I was pastoring either. I told them before I hired them, I will not work Sundays. They said, well, you're working Sunday. I said, it's up to you. You put me on the schedule for Sunday, then I'm just going to quit right now. Well, you're on the schedule. I said, I'll see you later, and I walked out the door. I had two children, or three children at the time. I was only making six bucks an hour, or five fifty an hour, whatever it was. But that was supporting my family, and I walked away from it. Because I lived by principle. It costs you something to live by principle. But it's a biblical principle. I did believe that the Lord's Day was Sunday. You have teenagers in your home. Do not let them work on church nights, on Sundays. Teach them to live by principle. Watching young people drift off the scene, and sometimes I wonder if it isn't because we open their minds, their hearts, and their lives to other alternatives rather than biblical principle. Be careful, parent. Think about what you're saying with the decisions you make, not just what you are doing, but what you're saying, how it's being perceived and internalized by your children. It's important that we understand that. I don't mean to end on such a heavy note, but time has escaped us. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the privilege it is to have your word. And Lord, I'm sure that in my own life, Lord, I know for a fact that I have compromised my principles at some point. I know I have. But Lord, as I moved ahead in life, I have tried so hard to stick to principle. And Lord, there may be those that are here tonight that have, like myself, maybe in the past have struggled, but they have tightened the reins up too. But Lord, there may be a young man, a young lady, or possibly a, uh, even a young couple that have allowed some principles to slip along the way because they're still growing in the, in the things of Christ in that area. They're still working it, trying to be more like Jesus I pray, Lord, that you would bring conviction to our hearts and help us to see that living by your word and pursuing principle is so invaluable and so important. 
that we don't compromise biblical principle, that we're willing to pay the price, that it may cost us. Not always does it cost us, but it does sometimes, Lord. Help us just to stand for you. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed.